Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. Usually at the top of the podcast, I start with some news, and the first couple of stories I cover, I cover in relatively great detail. This week, there's a lot of news to cover, so I'm not going to do that. I'll just cover in a news roundup type of fashion to just fit as much as possible in. And with that in mind, let's start with the reveal by NVIDIA this week of their GeForce RTX 2000 series of graphics cards at Gamescom in Germany. NVIDIA's RTX 2070, 2080, and RTX 2080 Ti were showcased at the event with RTX 2080 designed to succeed the already popular GTX 1080 and also designed to push their new real-time ray tracing effects in upcoming games. It's not used in a whole lot of games currently, but that will be expanded on in future. These latest graphics cards boast up to six times the performance of previous graphics cards. NVIDIA continue to up the ante when it comes to high-end graphics. On the topic of NVIDIA this week, it was also announced that storage provider NetApp has teamed up with NVIDIA to launch AI-based storage solutions. A report by digitimes.com suggests that although many organizations are adopting new AI platforms, tools, and practices, most do not have enough control over their distributed data stores to ensure that complete current and accessible data is available for their AI projects. In this aspect, a NetApp VP indicated the ONTAP AI platform can provide an exclusive data environment for AI projects utilizing NetApp data fabric to create an edge core cloud data pipeline that integrates diverse data sources and addresses the challenges of controlling distributed data stores so that current and accessible data is available for your AI projects. NetApp are currently the third most widely used or popular um, storage provider in the enterprise. But by teaming together with NVIDIA on such a ambitious and innovative project, that can only help their reputation, I believe. If you're a Gmail user, you may have noticed prompts to try the new user interface updates. If you've tried it, you'll have noticed a significant difference. First off, it pops a lot more than the previous iteration, and the icons and menus have received a pretty major overhaul. One of the new features is a side panel for quickly accessing things like calendar, notes, or your to-do lists. You can also find more to add to this sidebar via Google's Marketplace. It's a little similar to Office 365, but instead of leaving the app to open the other apps, you could do it all within a sidebar within your current app while maintaining visibility and functionality within Gmail in this instance. And it has proved so popular that Google are planning to bring it to their other G Suite apps in the future, according to a report in The Verge. There's no set release date, but with Google's rapid release cycle, it should be sooner rather than later. And keeping with Google for a moment, on a previous episode of the podcast, in my scripts, tricks, and tips section, I featured a great article by Dennis Spann on deploying Google Chrome in your Citrix environment. Well, thanks in large part to Dennis, Google Chrome is now officially a Citrix-ready product and appears on the Citrix-ready marketplace. Good job, Dennis. This week, information was released on a security feature bypass vulnerability which exists when Active Directory Federation Services, or ADFS, improperly handles multi-factor authentication requests. 
The vulnerability was uncovered by Okta and patches are already available. To exploit this vulnerability, an attacker could send a specially crafted authentication request. An attacker who successfully exploited this vulnerability could bypass some but not all of the authentication factors. The security updates correct how ADFS handles multi-factor authentication requests. And the patches for this vulnerability are available in CVE-2018-8340. The affected products include Server 2012 R2, including the core install, and Server 2016, including its core install. I'll provide links as I always do with this episode in the YouTube description, as well as on 5bytespodcast.com in the reference link section for episode 34. In a previous episode of the podcast, I featured a Power BI template on scripts, tricks, and tips, which you could use for a patching compliance dashboard using your SCCM data. Well, this week, the awesome Patch My PC released their own free software update compliance dashboard for SCCM. Their tool is an MSI, which you install onto your WSUS server. They have a YouTube video going through the setup, and it's super easy. The result is an effective compliance report, much better than what you get natively in the tool, and you don't have to be a customer to use it. Speaking of great free vendor-related contributions to the community, you may recall in last week's episode, I discussed the new Intel exploits related to L1TF. Well, this week, Mark Plettenberg from Login VSI posted an article detailing results of performance impact analysis caused when using RDSH sitting on a patched ESXi 6.5 to protect against L1TF. For testing, Mark deployed six Windows Server 2016 machines with four vCPUs and 55 gig of memory to test with a user load in Citrix Zen app. Mark also then tested against Windows 10 in a lower spec VDI scenario. In that scenario, each desktop got two gigs of memory and two vCPUs. The results in the lower spec Windows 10 VDI were pretty dramatic. I'd rather not give you the specific metrics on the podcast since Mark and Login VSI deserve the views themselves, but it is very interesting and it appears with the mitigation in place, with the patch in place, we may in fact have to worry about performance when it comes to our VDI. Check out the article for specific results. I know I found it pretty insightful. This week, Citrix released version 1.0.9 of their Citrix SSO app, which allows you to input the URL to your Citrix Netscaler Unified Gateway and provide your credentials for quick and seamless experiences across apps in your environment without requiring you to constantly type in your username and password. You know, if you're familiar with single sign-on, that's what SSO in the name means, so that's probably a very dumbed-down explanation if you already know what SSO is. There was an update to the Office Deployment Tool, version 16.0.1.0.8.1.0.3.3.6.0.3. Fixes include uh, updated logic for uninstall scenarios that no longer requires the XML to contain all of the installed language packs to uninstall the product. It's been updated to support the download and installation of Office 2019 products, which is pretty interesting. It's also fixed an issue in which exclude app was not being honored during a second install, which is a pretty big issue. Uh, Also, updated logic for slash download mode that allows ODT to only add files that are missing 
when pointing to an existing source path. So I started this podcast almost nine months ago, and it has been surprising to me the number of OSX and macOS vulnerabilities that have been in the news in this time. Most recently, I talked about the vulnerability in security prompts, which was covered at DEF CON by Patrick Wardle. Well, this week, mdsec.co.uk reported their own version of an exploit to bypass SIP, which is a macOS feature for security, by piggybacking and using a legitimate kernel driver that the OS wouldn't consider a threat. In the article's example, Adam Chest uses Oracle VirtualBox for this exploit, but also has some examples using VMware Fusion. It's a fascinating article. If you'd like to read it, I'll include a link on 5bytespodcast.com. Slack have announced they raised $427 million in Series H round funding that now values it over $7.1 million. Before this round, Slack had raised $841 million and was valued at $5.1 billion. So that's a pretty significant climb. And that much funding and that valuation is not bad for a product which launched only five years ago. The great Dave Brett, one of my fellow Citrix CTPs, released version 2 of his EUC monitoring platform. In the post to accompany the release, Dave explains how he got a lot of help from others in the community and has put the call out to more people if you'd like to get involved. So if you would like a free monitoring platform for your Citrix environment, why not try this and pay with feedback today via Slack or even maybe help out as the project is open source and available on GitHub. Staff engineer and Windows lead at Slack, Felix Reisberg, this week put Windows 95 into an Electron app. He's also a contributor to Electron. And as he explains on the readme on his GitHub repository, it only works well by accident and was mostly a joke. But it's available for download right now and can be run on Windows, Linux, and Mac OS. It is not affiliated or supported by Microsoft in any way, but if you're feeling curious or nostalgic like I was, it's there for you to try out. Download the zip if you want to try it on a Mac like I did. It was a little infuriating to be honest to try to use it with a trackpad, but cool nonetheless. There's also Windows installers, uh, .deb and .rpm packages available for your Linux distros. A couple of months ago I was running Windows 98 using droplet computing and today I was running Windows 95 as an Electron app. What a time to be alive. If you want to try it out, give some, I guess, internet kudos by following Felix on Twitter, at Felix Reisberg. PowerShell Core version 6.1 is now generally available with many fixes and enhancements. Check out the PowerShell GitHub repo for more. So I don't cover the consumer side too much on this podcast, but I noticed some tweets this week suggesting Apple could be about to launch a cheaper version of the MacBook Air in the coming months, and it will finally get the Retina display. I found it interesting because I'm in the market for a new machine. I'm not sold on the new range of MacBook Pros, particularly with stories of them being throttled along with the gimmicky touch bar and high price tag. An Air with the Retina display that I have grown to love could be very appealing to me, and maybe to you too. And talking of cheaper products, Segway, AWS cut the price of most of its Linux-based LightSail virtual private servers in half. LightSail is perfect for those who want the flexibility and robustness of the cloud for small-scale projects like maybe personal web hosting. All the types available run on attached SSD storage and come with SSH access and a static IP address. 
WordPress runs much quicker on Linux than Windows, so this could appeal to bloggers. And with what's available, you know, including the static IP address, this could actually work out much cheaper than paying a third-party hosting provider. So if this is something that you're into, definitely check it out. This week, Aruba dominated in Gardner's critical capabilities networking ranking, besting the competition in five out of six use cases. Gardner claim HPE Aruba have some of the most complete solutions on the market. Cisco finished a close second place in most of the use cases. It's interesting to me that HPE have essentially bought their way into the best of class in this area. And with increasing hardware sales, a relatively new CEO, and success in growth areas, perhaps things are looking up for HPE. And now for this week's hot jobs. Nutanix are hiring for a bunch of positions, both technical and non-technical, pretty much around the globe, including India, the US, the UK, Singapore, Colombia, China, Spain, Germany, Netherlands, Thailand, Norway, and so on. Nutanix is a very exciting company right now with some key talent acquisitions, particularly in EUC, but also in their other areas. Along with the recent acquisition of Frame, they appear to be a very ambitious company and could provide great growth opportunities for the right candidates. And now for this week's scripts, tricks, and tips. This week is a handy little tool by Christoph Kolbitz called Set User FTA. Set User FTA is the easiest way to set user file type associations on your Windows 8, 10, Server 2012, and 2016 machines. If you've worked in Windows for any amount of time, you'll know that setting or changing file type associations outside of a vendor package can be quite challenging and pretty frustrating. So this tool is a breath of fresh air. Get User FTA is also excellent for listing out the current user file type associations, which to me is probably even handier than the setting of the FTAs as I tend to set file type associations within the app packages themselves. You can use these tools from the command window and they're very straightforward. So for a change, I'm not going to plug my newsletter anymore, but if you'd like to receive notifications anytime a new episode of the podcast is available. If you're in YouTube, just go ahead and click on the little bell icon on the Five Bytes podcast channel. If you use SoundCloud, just click on the alerts button within there. If you're on Twitter, feel free to follow at Five Bytes Podcast. And as always, thanks so much for listening.